Hey everybody, I wanted to give you the heads up before this podcast gets started that our voices get a little overlapped a couple times. Something went wrong with the recording. I don't know what happened, but it's still a great story. I hope you enjoy. Thanks for listening. Yo, yo. Yo, yo. Hey, today we have Eric McMahon, who is currently the mascot for the Grizzlies down in Memphis. And uh, it's a real privilege to have him on today. Eric, how you doing, man? I'm doing great. Ken, how you doing, bud? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Let's let's start out with a little uh, little intro here. Welcome to another edition of Between the Fur. I'm your host, Ken, and it's Mascot Talk. Between the Fur. Glad to have you on here. And, you know, we've actually done a podcast before. I know. And... I feel honored. This is like my second appearance on the, uh, on the Ken Solomon Extraordinaire podcast. Uh, thanks yes extraordinaire the uh between the fur between the extraordinaire you know last time we talked we were at the mascot conference in salt lake and we talked we just touched a little bit on uh some stuff that you went through in your life with a a little battle with cancer not not a little bit battle with cancer a huge battle with cancer and um I told everyone back then, I was like, hey, we're going to have you back on. We want to talk, I want to talk about this a little bit more. And uh, so that's why I'm reaching out. And it, it's kind of a different view, a, a different uh, um, insight into uh, the personal lives of professional mascots. You know, we all have this. Uh, Believe it or not, we're people too, right? <laughs> yeah, not just big stuffed animals that you get to punch. You're like, so, oh, that must be a 12-year-old kid in there. Let me hit it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah or uh gosh they don't have any uh genitals bam ah! yeah right yeah so is it hot in there <laughs> is, is it hot in there <laughs> uh i had i had a question one time from a little preschooler um do you have bones inside you <laughs> it's like what <laughs> uh, what goes through people's minds anyways how long were you with the grizzlies before this started, before this this happened, where well, give me a timeline. So, well, to start my career, like as, as the arc of my career went, I uh, I was in Phoenix as a dunk team guy, kind of as a guess you would say to the gorilla, and I was out there for three years, three four years. I was out there for four years. Uh, that's where I was born and bred born and raised. And then I got the job with the Grizzlies. I completed my first season. And then uh, going into my second season, I was doing, um, you know how it is, you get booked for all these international trips and whatnot. And I came off like a, you know, I was that young, naive uh, guy coming off my rookie year where I was like, yeah, I'll go to China. Yeah, I'll go to Korea. Yeah, I'll go to Japan. Yeah, I'll go to the Philippines, like all in the span of like a month. Mm-hmm. And, and, um, and then I, I came back, and as the season's getting ready to start, I just uh, as my second season was getting ready to start, I just couldn't kick what I thought was like extreme jet lag and just overexhaustion. So really, uh, when I first started feeling the effects pre-diagnosed, it was I would say around preseason time of my second year in the league as a full-time NBA basketball. Perfect timing. Yeah, right? And that feeling of, of jet lag, just, just exhaustion, just just built, really being tired, wanting to sleep, or, or what? Yeah, so at first it started as that. It's like, you know, I don't know why I'm so fatigued. I don't know why, um, you know, obviously I knew, like, you get tired, but this was like a next level of tired. Um I was just so fatigued, and then that fatigue started then progressing into now I'm feeling sick. So, you know, I, I started coughing a lot. I would start throwing up, I, you know, and I just then I thought I had a cold I couldn't kick. I thought my body was so broken down that I had a cold I couldn't kick, you know, and then it just got progressively worse. But now that I say all that, I forgot a kind of a key part to all this. Around February of my rookie year, um, for anybody that knows me and knows my character, I'm pretty high impact. I'm pretty intense, and I do a lot of 
I do a lot of dunking. I do a lot of stunts and all this. So one day I woke up and I, I was feeling fine, but I had this huge, I'm not going to say huge, but I had this bulge coming out of my neck. Oh, that's, that would be a, cute, a key little point there. Yeah. Yeah, right? So this is my rookie year. I had a bulge coming out of my neck. And I was like, but it didn't hurt. It didn't do anything. And, and I, I could, like, push it and squish it and move it around a little bit. And I was just thinking, like, you, you know, and as a, as a dumb, I don't know, alpha male, I guess I would say, I'd be like, ah, oh, well, it doesn't hurt. It's not this. It, it's nothing, right? And, um, and what I originally thought was that I just landed weird one day and I probably pulled a muscle in my neck and that was it was something some sort of little injury that I had had some little trauma in my neck is what I originally thought right and or you know people get bumps all the time I I, I guess it, it you know I've had stuff like that where it's like ah you know what it's probably just an ingrown hair you know so, some kind yeah. of big old and ends know, up being staff <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> I got a, I got a story exactly like that too, by the way. But that's for another day. <laughs> okay. Uh, but yeah, you know, and I I also get the whole you know ah, I'm young. What could it possibly be? I'm tough. I'm a, I'm a guy. Yeah, I, I'm invincible. So exactly. not a big deal. Exactly. And so I went on with the rest of my 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 rookie season, and it would it would go away. It would come back. It would go away. It would come back, but it never gave me any pain or displeasure or anything. It was just something. It was just like an annoying thing that would pop up and then go away. It would just rear its ugly head every now and again, um, but unnoticeable to anybody but really me. So, you so know, it wasn't it, like it, a baseball size or anything. It wasn't like it no, was no. Sm- I, I, yeah, I would say it was like a little golf ball, like a like it like it would be like half of the size of a golf ball would protrude out of my neck. So if you just like cut a golf ball in half, like you know, and then I'd be like, oh, what's yeah. this? I'd push it, and then and then it'd go away a day later, and then it'd come back, and then it'd go away. So I just dealt with that for a little bit and didn't think anything of it. So fast forward to that summer, um, doing all these international trips, um, as any dumb young rookie, I wouldn't say dumb because they're valuable experiences, but any young ambitious rookie you're going to take any booking you can get. And, um, and so, you know, and and to me, I'm like traveling the world. This is the greatest thing ever. Um, you know, while being just like completely run, my gas tank is being run dry over the off season when you should be resting. So then now going into preseason, I literally just got back from Japan as training camp was starting. So, um, it didn't give me any time, and that's why I just felt like I, I came off a busy summer straight back into a into training camp. And as you know, anybody could tell you, training camp in our world is almost busier than the season to a degree, because now you're you got all these open practices, you have all these uh, rallies going around the city. There's all the excitement around the team, a new year, a fresh year. What's what's on tap? So the demand for the mascot is a lot higher. So now you're just doing tons of appearances as well. Right. And know um, that well. Yeah, exactly. So I just can't get over this fatigue that I have. The fatigue then turns into sickness and I just then start throwing up. And, and now we're into preseason games and I'm just like, man, I'm not right. I'm just not right. And so finally, um, you know, after talk, calling back home, complaining to my parents every now and again, my mom was like, Eric, you have to go to the doctor. Like, you have to, you have to, you have to. And I was like, all right, you know, I'll go to the doctor. So I, I'm pretty new to Memphis still at this point. I've only been to, I've only been there literally one full year at this point. Um, and now I'm starting my second year. I go into a doctor. I had no doctor. So I just found a doctor. I, I walked into this doctor's office and I said, Hey, can you see me? They said, yes. And I'm like, boom, you're my doctor now. Right. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. That's and that just yeah. turned into a, like a comedy of errors. And it, it, it's like, you know, looking back on it now, it's, it's ridiculous. It's, it's hum- It's humorous at this point. Um, so I go in there and they say, Oh, you know, what's wrong. And I say, these are my symptoms. I just, I, I'm not right. So then they're like, okay, well, you know, pretty easy. You have a cold. 
So Jeez. I'm like, okay, yeah. So I, you know, I go back home and now I'm in preseason and preseason busy as can be. And, um, and then now the season starts and no, wait, wait, no blood test or no, nothing. They just put the yeah, stethoscope right off, right on the, your chest. and Yeah. Right off the bat. It was, it was simply like, um, now I'll give my PSA statements about GP doctors later. Cause I think this is very valuable for everybody to hear. But yes, uh, it, you know, it was just like symptom treatment. I mean, that's kind of how Jeep general practitioner doctors work, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's like, oh, you're not feeling good. You have a cough. Here you go. Here's some penicillin. Right. You should be, you know, so that, right. that's kind of how that went. And uh, so, you know, I go back home. I'm just not feeling good. I'm not feeling good. Now I'm starting preseason games. And like, I have no energy whatsoever i'm telling at the beginning of the game lights out you know the video starts playing grizz myself i would run to center court with the giant flag i would wave it i would sprint back off court have to throw my head off in the tunnel and i would throw up everywhere oh my gosh this happened every game this happened every game for months it was the same routine every, every game for months that is so not right. Right. Yeah, we have a rigorous job, but I mean, let's, let's be honest, not that rigorous. You know? Right. Right. Um. So. So, anyways, I'm just still not feeling good, and then once I got the initial throw up out of the way, then I could work the game, not, not to my liking, but I'm still dunking. I'm still doing everything that I need to do, and then, um, you know, I'm just not getting better, and then now I, I go back to the doctor. Well, this did this penicillin didn't work, so we'll give you this. We'll give you that. We'll give you this. I, I'm literally going to the doctor once a week for, I don't know, I'd say probably two and a half months. Same doctor. And same doctor. Yeah. Yeah. My, my walk-in, you are my doctor now. Right. <laughs> and, um, and so anyways, while this is all going on, I am like literally dropping massive amounts of weight. I, you know, I'm probably losing seven, eight pounds a month at this point. Oh my um, gosh. And, and, and not, not changing anything. But I'm just, I don't know why I can't drop weight. On top of that, I'm not sleeping through the night now. I'm, uh, I was having really, really bad night sweats. And it's kind of funny when people are like, oh, yeah, I, whenever I tell the story, they're like, oh, I get night sweats too. Like, unless you've ever had real night sweats, like waking up sweating isn't night sweat. It, it had gotten so bad and it was a nightly occurrence that I would lay two layers of towels down on my bed to go to sleep on. So when I woke up, say at three in the three, four o'clock in the morning, I could just take those towels, throw them on the ground, take two more sets of towels, lay them on my bed and go back to sleep. Cause it would literally like you were pour, you poured a gallon of water on. Me. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I can't even imagine this is getting bizarre. It's getting scary too, yeah. and um, but I guess just naively thinking as a as a twenty something year old guy who I thought I was the epitome of health, you know, I think a lot, and not only just epitome of health guys, I think a lot of guys try and do this. They just trivialize their symptoms. It, most guys do, yeah, one hundred percent. So I'm going back and forth to the doctor, this, that, and the other. Then I start saying, hey, listen, guys, this isn't and, – and, and now I'm, I'm smart enough to know that I know that something is drastically wrong with me. And so I'm going into this same doctor, and he's saying, no, I'm, Eric, you're fine. And I'm like, I'm not fine. Like, literally, I'm not fine. And they kept on saying, like, you just need to relax. You're such a high-strung guy. Like, you need to relax. You just calm down like it's just a sickness. And so I'm just like, okay, you know. And so, like I said, that led into the process of once a week going to the doctor. And they thought they literally thought I was nuts. Um, then one time they said, okay, well, we just you just can't get over this, this quote-unquote cold. So they said I had a respiratory infection. So then they're like, okay, we're going to take some chest x-rays. And they're like, aha, we found out what it is. And now I'm going to butcher what the name of this disease is, but it's, they're like, you have sarcoidosis. I think that's how you pronounce it. Something like that. 
you have sarcoidosis. And I said, what in the hell is sarcoidosis? And they're like, well, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a lung infection disease. So, you know, it's, it's really not that big of a deal as long as we get you on medication and this, that, and the other. And I go, uh, okay. And then I go home and look up what sarcoidosis really is. Believe it or not, it's a, it's a lung disease that only affects African-American males. you got to be kidding me. Come on. Come on. No, swear, I mean, I, I'm literally not making this up. No, swear to God. Swear to God. This guy's this a quack. This guy's a and, quack. And, uh, oh. Yeah, 100%. So Bernie Mac, the, the, the famous comedian, Bernie Mac died of, of this Oh, disease. my gosh. Right? So anyways, I'm like, this is nuts. Like, and then they, they put me on some, like, random medication, and, and nothing's getting better. And now my stomach is really now my stomach is bothering me and unbeknownst to me and unbeknownst to anybody at the time the reason my stomach started getting really really bad is because you can you can actually overdo it on antibiotics i'd been on antibiotics for oh, about yeah. three months I, antibiotics will just oh. annihilate your system yes so it annihilated my gut is what it did and so now i'm going back in and I'm like, now my stomach's bothering me. And like, I don't know what something's seriously, seriously wrong with me. And I kid you not. Now, I, now not every, I didn't, every time I didn't see the doctor, half the time I saw the nurse practitioner, because I would just walk in. I wouldn't take an appointment. I'm like, something's wrong. I'm walking in. This is half the reason they thought I was crazy. But the nurse practitioner, she sits me down and she's like, well, you know, it's not this. It's not this. And now this. They said, they go, we, <laughs> yeah. They go, we believe you're HIV positive. And I just said, no, I'm not. And they're like, well, I know this is like all traumatic to you. And I was like, literally. And this is like when I kind of like, I, I literally lost my, um, I lost it. Let's just say I lost it on the nurse practitioner. And I said, and I said listen, you know what? I'm not this. I'm not that. I don't do this. And I don't do that. I don't, I'm not HIV positive. Like, I know enough to know that. Okay? And, and I was a lot right. more emphatic. I'm sure you were. Right? <laughs> Knowing you, and I'm then sure I, you were. And furthermore, yeah. <laughs> furthermore, I said, I don't pay to see you. Get the effing doctor in here now. So the doctor comes in, and, and then I said, Doc, this is what he's like. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Well, maybe, you know, I don't know. He's like, we need to rule it out. And I said, well, why don't we start with, hey, let's rule HIV out and take a blood test, take this blood and test your blood. But like, I'm like, you didn't do that. You, you, you led with it. I'm like, and so anyways, they gave me a blood test. They called me three days later. Hey, good news. You're not HIV positive. I'm like, yeah, no kidding. Well, thank you. Right. Yeah. So then another week goes by and, and now I, I'm getting, I'm getting uh, blood in my stool. Oh my gosh. What is happening? This is and, just so bizarre. I mean, and not just the lip. Yeah. And like I said, it's just a comedy of errors. Right. And so they, uh, I, 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 now I'm like, my anxiety and my temperament is at like a level 10 at this point. Like I said, three months of dealing with this. And, and now I wake up to having blood in my stool. And again, no appointment. I just burst into the, uh, I burst into the doctor's office. And I was done with that doctor at this point. I said, give me my file. And he's like, well, Eric, come back and see me. I said, no, I'm not going back and I'm not seeing you. I'm not talking to you. Give me my medical. I don't blame you. And he's like, well, that's not. Literally, I will, I will jump over this counter and I will kick the ever loving crap out of you. You do not give me my medical file and give it to me now. So um, he gives me my file. I took my file and I drove straight to the emergency room. I checked myself in. And, you know, uh, luckily it wasn't busy, so I got right in. And I'm waiting in the little uh, curtained off, your own curtained off little room. And the, doc and the emergency room doctor comes in and he's like, hey, Eric, what's going on? And, you know, you could, he can tell I was flustered. And I said, hey, here's my medical file. These are my symptoms. Like, I don't know what's going on, but something is really, really, really wrong with me. 
And he goes, okay, give me, give me 20 minutes. Let me read through your okay, file so, uh, and I'll come now, back and me, we'll check. Let me ask that. you this. Okay. So at this point, are you thinking cancer at all? Uh, yeah, I, deep down inside I was, but it was still, you know, you're still kind of right. in a it, denial it, phase it, to a degree. You're kind of hoping but, that, right. uh, yeah, it's just something, you know, simple. It's gotta be something simple. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, and, and just to give it context, it was like, okay, I had a, I had a, I had a cold, then I had a lung infection, then I had a lung disease. Then, um, then actually I left one thing out because when my gut got, got really bad, then Jeez. they said I had irritable bowel syndrome. Then, you know, then they said I had HIV. Then I had, you know, blood in my stool. And this is at the point where I'm going to the doctor. So I'm just like, literally right. any uh, news find out exactly what it is. Point. Let's get to you the bottom I mean? of it. And that would be better than just still wondering. That, that's exactly correct. So, um, so anyways, the, the emergency room doctor, reads my file he ends up coming back in and he goes okay well i've read your file and you know it looks like you have this and it looks like you have a little bit of that but you know i I'll, you know everything i see is is you're fine um you know but you, you're you're really high anxiety which is adding to your troubles right now so we need to uh so i'm going to give you these pills that's going to help with this and help with that and, you know, just go home and really rest through the weekend. It was like a Thursday. Just really rest through the weekend, Eric. Don't do anything. And 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 I think you'll be feeling a lot better. I this said, is okay. not – I, I thought you so, were going to tell me, yeah, I, I, okay, let's run some blood tests and let's let's get on it. He told you to go home, relax. Oh, God. No, no. This is, this is giving me anxiety yeah, right now. Yeah, with some pills. Yeah, with some pills. <laughs> right. So I go home, right, and now – the the following week okay so i go home on like a thursday that that following like wednesday i had a an appointment with a lung specialist that i was going to see and that was set up like a month previous when they thought i had like a respiratory infection that i couldn't get over so that 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 appointment had just been outstanding okay. for about a month you know what i mean so i go to i end up that following wednesday i end up going to this uh, lung, this lung specialist. And, and, and I'm telling you, this is where I got slapped across the face. Like the hardest I've ever been hit in my life is I walk and I sit down in, in, in the office and he goes, he walks in, he goes, Hey Eric, so why are you here? And I go, you gotta be kidding me. I said, you're supposed to tell me that I've been waiting a month to see you. And he goes, well, I'm looking at the x-rays and the blood work and everything that your other doctor sent me over. He's like, from everything I'm seeing, what? you needed a biopsy like yesterday, man. And I go, whoa, whoa, whoa. I said, hold on, back up. When I hear biopsy, I think cancer. Is that what you're telling me? And he goes, yeah. And I go, whoa. I said, are you freaking kidding me? And he goes, but hold on. He's like, but I'm not a cancer doctor. He's like, I just read readouts. He's like, that doesn't mean you have cancer. It just means you have some things that are associated with cancer. Right. So now he's kind of he's seeing something on right? your x-rays that say, yeah, there's, there's something in there. Oh, geez. Well, he knew it was cancer. Oh, geez. Okay. It's not his place. Oh. He was a Okay. Doctor, so he knew. Right? So he's okay. like, oh, this is how much he knew. He had already set my surgery time with a general surgeon that he, that, he set up before I even got to him that oh, I ended up having a gosh. biopsy the next morning at 7 a.m. Come on. This is so bizarre to go from yeah. just putting along yeah, so, to 100 miles an hour. Okay. I mean, this it's, is pure, crazy. it's pure insanity. Needless to say, that day was just a blur for me. I was like, oh, my. I was like a caged animal. Like, I don't know what to do. You know, when you're just pacing. I was pacing around my apartment all day and – um you know, I'm in Memphis by myself. My parents, all my family live back in Arizona. You know, I am an adult at this point, but I'm in my late 20s. So, like, exactly. So I still, need, still my need my parents, parents at 52. At that point. So. You know what I mean? Right. And so, like, I'm just like, you know, and I call my mom and I tell her and she's like, I'm on my way right out. And I said, no, like, literally, I just got the bad news that I think I have cancer. This is a very easy procedure there's no reason for you to spend like a thousand dollars on a last second ticket. 
um, I'll be fine. Like I go into surgery in like eight hours anyway. So it's not, not a big deal. I'll have, uh, you know, I have, I'll have somebody pick me up and take me home. It's a, it's a 30 minute procedure. Really. It wasn't that big. Where, of a deal. Where? And guess where they did the biopsy on <laughs> the bulge. That in my dang neck. bulge. When did you mention the bulge? Oh, like right off the bat. Like it was like one of the leading, okay. leading thing. And Hey, I okay. got this okay. too. You know what I mean? It's kind of like one of those things. Okay. So, but okay, I'm, I'm going to give my, before I get back into my story, I'm going to give a, my quick PSA statement about general practitioner doctors, because I think it's utterly important everybody <laughs> yeah. hears this, because I learned it the hard way. Yeah. Your general practitioner doctor. Right. They're chart doctors. Right? They literally, right. they don't do anything other than, you know, general, little specific me- medicine. They, they know a little bit about a lot of things, <laughs> and they know right. a lot about nothing. Okay. And I don't, and I'm not doing this to demean general practitioner doctors, but one of the reasons you go to a practitioner doctor, I have a fever, I have a cold, you have the flu, here's a pill, right? They're chart doctors to a degree. You know, only when, when something doesn't work, like a medication does not work, do they send you on to a specialist. So if I have anything I could tell anybody, if you, you know your body, if you go in and a general practitioner is just like, well, okay, well, it could be this or could be this. I agree. Get to a I agree. And I was talking to somebody the other day. Right off the it's back. funny that you mentioned this. I was talking to somebody the other day that, w- that said, uh, had some kind of similar story where they, they just got the runaround. And after all the doctor's appointments and everything to, uh, to, to, to get some attention, you know, it cost just as much and took way more time than just going to the emergency room. It was crazy. He's like, yeah, never again. will I just go to my doctor. I'm going to the emergency room. So <laughs> anyways, but yeah, no, I get that. <laughs> I get that. And it's, uh, you got to start somewhere, but at the same time, yeah. and you know, at your age, then how would you know? How would you know? You wouldn't know. And in a new town and, and, and all that. Right. So, yeah, I, I mean, I imagine my son out in Cleveland, like, what would he do? You know, so the good, I, I so would the, be telling him, well, Hey, go to your team doctor. Exactly. First of all, you know, just cause I know the business. Cause I know, you know, what, what potential, you know, that has, but, you know, and in hindsight, being twenty twenty, that's exactly what I should have done right off the bat. But you know, probably as your son, he's in a new place and he's not going to ruffle feathers. And we know the disconnect between the basketball operation side and the business operation side. Like that wasn't something right. I felt felt that I could have done at the time. Now knowing right. I should have and would have, I could have. But and for everybody listening, it, there's a weird dynamic. Was right. Like, it's two different worlds. You work stuff. for the same organization, but. There's, there's a definite split. Oh, 100%. Yeah. So um, so that's why I didn't at that time. And, uh, you know, dumb mistake. But anyways, uh, now that we're done with the good half of the story, Jeez. now the bad stuff starts. The bad stuff. <laughs> it kind of puts it in perspective <laughs> right off the bat. Yeah. So anyways, um, I have my biopsy on a Friday morning. But then, um, and now it's pretty easy breezy. Literally, they give you just, a twilight where it just really quick puts you to sleep. Um, but you're not under an anesthetic and they just opened up my neck a little bit, took part of my lymph node there, cut it out and right. sent it away from testing. So it's literally a 30 minute process, right? My mom ends up flying out on Sunday because she wanted to be there for my results. Ironically enough, through all this time, it's like Jimmy V week on uh, ESPN. So I'm literally all oh, I'm geez. seeing is cancer stuff on, on television. So it's just like, so anyways, my mom flies in on a Sunday, Sunday night. And, and I just told her, I said, listen, I, I think we need to stop um, hoping it's not and expecting that it is because I, I know something's wrong with me and, and, I, and I'm pretty certain I have cancer, you know? And she's like, okay, well, whatever it is, we'll take it as it comes and yada, yada, yada. So I was supposed to get my uh, results on uh, Monday morning the doctor ends up calling me or we end up going down there because we had an appointment with the general surgeon that Monday morning. And he's like, Hey, I'm sorry. I don't have any results for you. They're still not in. And I said, okay. And so we started walking out and I doubled back into the room and I said, Hey doc, I said, do me a favor. Just like, don't make me come back down here tomorrow. If if you get them in either way, you can call and tell me over the phone. I'm fine with it. He goes, okay. So then we go home the next day. We go home the next morning. I wake up. It's, uh, you know, 7 a.m. I get a call from uh, actually the nurse. His nurse calls my mother, my mother and says, 
hey, the doctor would like to see you. And we walk in, the doctor's office is closed. It's all locked up and it's just him, a nurse. Uh, I walk in and they're not even open for business. And we're waiting to go back and see him. And my mom's like, hold on, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to the bathroom right now. Uh, and she's like, don't go back there without me. I said, okay. So as soon as she went to the, to the bathroom, I just got up and I, I just walked through the doors and I walked into his office. And they bring me into the doctor's mm-hmm. office, not like where the bed right. is and all that stuff, like where his desk is, you know. Uh, that's where the bad news happens, right? And so I walk in there. My mom's out there. I said, hey, listen, doc. I said, before my mom comes in, give it to me. I'd rather tell her if it's bad. So what is it? And he just, he just shakes his head. He goes, you have cancer. I said, okay. And so then my mom walks in. She's like, where'd you go? I told you not to come in. I said, mom, I have cancer. And for some weird reason, mm-hmm. I thought I should have been the one to tell her, you know what I mean? And um, so I said, mom, I have cancer. And she just started crying, but you know, but like right. I'm it sure together, she just, crying, not just like eyes welling you know up I mean? and yeah. Okay. I can, um, I can picture this, but I, yeah. I, I just can't imagine how heavy the room was. Yeah, it was, that's exactly, that's a, a great way to put it. It was heavy in, and, and, um, and for me, I just needed to walk, you know, I don't know what it was. I just needed to walk. So I'm just, I walk out of his doctor's office and I'm just kind of walking up and down the hall, up and down the hall, up and down the hall. And cause you think you can try and process stuff, but when something's so heavy like that, it's like, you're almost, you're, I, I yeah, think you'd I have to shock is what I, I mean. How would I you was. not? I mean, you it's know? just, I can't even imagine that kind of news. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then, so after about five minutes of just kind of pacing, I said, okay, what, what do we do now? And he goes, okay, well, I already set you up with an oncologist. They're waiting to see you right now. They're, they're expecting you. I'm going to, I'm going to walk you over there. And it was in a medical building. So the oncologist was like literally across the hallway. You know what I mean? So he's like, I'm going to walk you over there and, and, and they're going to sit down and they're going to talk to you. You know, they said, he goes, but you know, Eric, I think you're going to, I think it's going to be hard. It's going to be long, but I think you're going to make it. You're going to, you're going to be fine. I said, okay, thank you. Did you that, know, thank did you, that doctor. console you at all? Yeah. No, no, not at all. Because I don't even think you processed that at the time. Like, you know, to you, I'm going to tell you a story here in a second. And this is what changed my mindset on everything. But, um, to, you know, whenever you hear cancer, right. you just think you, right. you get cancer, then you die. You know, it's not like, oh, cancer, chemotherapy, this, that, and the other. Yeah, if you know somebody who's got cancer, then they're like, okay, they got to do chemotherapy and hopefully they live. Like, to me, when I got it, it was like, I didn't even think about chemotherapy. I didn't even think about anything. I was like, you get cancer, you die. I can't even, I can't even process that, really. I mean, I can't relate. and It's just, I, would, yeah. I, I don't even know how to imagine how that would feel. Yeah, so... um so anyways, they, uh, um, I, I, I go across the hall and, and I'm waiting in the office for the oncology and I end up calling my best friend, Paul. And I called him and I said, Hey, Paul. And he's back in Arizona. And I said, um, I just got, I just found out I have cancer. And, uh, you know, I don't expect him to say anything, you know, it's like, right. you, you, what do you do when your best friend tells you that news? You know what I mean? So it's just like, holy crap don't worry, man, I'm going to be there for you. We got this. We'll do it together. You know, he said all the right things, just like a best friend should and would. He gets off the phone. He ends up calling his stepbrother, who's also a very, very dear friend of mine. And I get an immediate call from his stepbrother, this guy named David. And he goes, hey, Eric, what's going on? I said, I don't know. And he goes, yeah, well, I just heard Paul called me. And I go, yeah. And he goes, I want to tell you something. And I said, what's that? And he goes, I'm very excited for you what yeah and that was my exact thing what i said what the hell are you talking about like this is the worst news of my life and he goes eric i'm very excited as one of your best friends to watch you go through this and to watch you kick cancer's butt and you're gonna fight you're gonna fight this tooth and nail and and i'm gonna be so proud of you i'm gonna be so proud as your friend to watch you do this and then when you finally beat it and you have that trophy on your mantle that nobody else can have, you know, that's going to be so powerful, man. And for that, I'm very excited. Dude, for that kind of, 
that almost chokes me up, man. Seriously, that is that's so powerful. Yeah, I'm telling you, it was tremendously powerful. I actually go around with the American Cancer Society and I do speeches based on that speech alone that he gave me. And what it taught me in that moment, in that exact moment, is that, like, listen, enough feeling sorry for myself. Like, I had 30 minutes to feel sorry for myself. You know what? If you don't start dominating and dominating every minute from here on forward, you are going to die. And you better start dominating and dominating. I love that. I love that whole approach. I love that he had the insight and the uh, – that had to come through some kind of life experience for him that he's sharing with you. Well, in a background on this guy, he just he competed at the highest levels possible. He was a he was a first round draft pick of the New York Yankees. Uh, you know, he played in the bigs, and um, so with that, I mean, I literally it snapped in me just like that, and I said, "What do we have to do today to make sure we beat this?" Ironically, right when I'm getting off the phone with them, the doctors call me in the back, and they they start giving me the doom and gloom, like, "Hey, listen, you you're you're in stage." Mm. 3B out of four. We, anti- we, we think that you've had cancer for uh, over a year now. Like you are very advanced. Right. And so they, and I go, okay, well what now? And they're like, okay, well it's the holidays at this point. It's like a week before Christmas. And they said, yeah, we want you to go home for Christmas, decompress, you know, come to grips with this. And when you come back right after New Year's, we're going to start treatment and we got, we got to start a bevy of things to get you even ready to start doing chemotherapy. And I said, well, what do you got to do? And they're like, well, we got to do a bone marrow biopsy to make sure it's not in your bones. We need to put a port in, you know, we, we need to do some higher, some, some more scans. And I said, you're nuts if you think I'm going home knowing I, I that I haven't the done exact anything same thing. Today. Wait, okay, so... I don't care if it's the holidays or not, you know, let's, let's, let's get on this. We have to do something now. We're going to yeah. do something now. So he goes, well, Eric, we have two surgical procedures we need to do. We can't do them now. And I said, why? I said, why can't we do them now? And they go, well, the bone marrow biopsy, you know, you know, we have to do this. We have to take this needle and jam it down into your hip and all this, that, and the other. And I said, why can't we just do it here? And they go, well, we could if you want to. And I said, yes, I want to. And they go, but it's pointless to do it today if, because you still have to go into surgery and get a port put in. And you have to get you. you I mean, you have to be fully put under for that. And I said, and, he, and they go, and your general surgeon will have to do that. So you have to make another appointment. He's got to go to the hospital, get an operating room. I said, hold on a second. I literally, this is, this is crazy. I got out of my oncology's office. I said, wait here one minute. I walked out the, uh, the door. They didn't even know where I was going. And I, I, I walked back across the hall into the general surgeon's office. And I didn't knock. I didn't do anything. And I walked back into, into his desk office. And I said, hey, they say I can't do anything until I get my port put in. I need to have surgery. When can we do it? And he goes, well, I don't know. I need to, I need to reserve an operating room and this, that, and the Love other it. I said, Love well, I'll it. sit here and wait while you call. And I stood, I stood right in front of him, and he goes, he hangs back up, and he goes, we can do it in two hours. Oh, my God. Uh, we can do it. And, and he goes, meet me, at, meet, me at, meet me at the hospital in two hours. I said, done. I walked back across the hallway into the, uh, into the ecologist's office, and I said, I have surgery in two hours. We need to get this bone marrow biopsy done now. And they're like, oh, my goodness. And so they turned – the, the, the doctor's office or the, the hospital room or the doctor's room into now like a little surgery center. And they, they, they don't like put me under or anything. They just numb me up and they drive this needle like all the way down through into my hip. Uh, my mom was, it was, they did it so fast. My <laughs> this mom is was unreal. Like one of their assistants. Yeah. And um, so I get, I get that done. And that was horrible by the way. And, uh, and the oncologist was telling me, like, right when we were done, I'm just sweating profusely because it was so painful and all this stuff. And afterwards, he's like, Eric, you're the craziest person I've ever met. I've never met anybody who's ever done all this in one day. That let is alone one who you are, though. So, so then I leave there and uh, I go and have surgery. I have my port, port put in. 
I start my first chemotherapy treatment the next day. I love it. And, 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 and you just saved two weeks there. So, I mean, you don't know how aggressive this is. People die within two weeks of cancer. Yeah, that's what I wasn't looking at it, though. I saved my I saved my myself, in my opinion. I saved my t- myself two weeks in mental. It would be mental torment. Like mental, it, mental how could torment. you enjoy any moment, anything? How could you enjoy the holidays? How could you how could you sleep? You know, unfortunately, it gets worse before it gets better. But, um, you know, I start my first chemotherapy treatment the other uh, the next day. And um, they put me on a really aggressive, aggressive form of chemotherapy because they thought I was young. Oh, I was young and I was in good shape. They thought I could like handle a really heavy dose of it. So I was literally going, if anybody knows chemotherapy, it's usually intravenous once every other week. Right. That's a typical round of chemotherapy. I was going, I went four days in a row of like, you know, three hour treatments, three days off, three days in a row, then a week off. And for anybody who doesn't really know what chemotherapy is, it's literally they're injecting poison into your body because they're injecting this poison because the poison will kill cells that, that multiply. Your cancer cells multiply. That's why you lose your hair because your hair follicles multiply and makes your hair grow. The chemotherapy kills pretty much any cell that multiplies. God, that is so – you had to be in – I mean, how much pain were you in? On a scale of 1 to 10, I was in a, about a, a level 10 pain. I start doing this chemotherapy treatment, and in chemotherapy, your, your immune system multiplies, and that's what is always regenerating, and that's why – if most people die of cancer, they don't really die of cancer unless they've been fighting it for years. They die a lot of times of an infection. A pneumonia can, or a cold can turn into pneumonia, pneumonia can kill you because you have no immune system because the chemotherapy kills but you, your immune you, system. You had been so on anyway, antibiotics. I, I was on such an aggressive form. I had been, correct. So this is where all this comes into play. My immune system gets dropped to zero. The problem that I had in my stomach was from all the antibiotics that they gave me an antibiotic is a bacteria that kills another bacteria. So once you put too much of that, it offsets the bacterial levels in my stomach. So now I had no good bacteria in left in my stomach. Now I have no immune system that ends up giving me blood poisoning. I end up, I end up getting blood poisoning, but as I'm in that week off of chemotherapy, I am in agonizing pain, like ag- like the worst pain I could ever, ever imagine. I wouldn't wish this on my worst enemy. And I didn't sleep at one point for three days because I was in so much pain. Painkillers would do nothing for this. And the only way I could get some relief is I would, in my apartment, I'm by myself again at this point because mm-hmm. I was at a week off, so my mom had gone home for the week, right? I would have to turn my uh, um, bathtub. I would get the water as hot as I could possibly get it. And I would sit in there because that was the only way that my stomach wouldn't just be uh, utterly contracting gosh. upon itself. And it would relax. It would relax my stomach. So out of like a 24 hour day, I was probably spending 18 hours in just a scalding hot bathtub. And that right. only gave me minor relief. It didn't give me relief. So, so anyways, about on the third day, I'm like delirious because I haven't slept. I've been in this much pain. Um, I fall asleep, believe it or not, I fall asleep in the bathtub. And I wake up freezing because my hot water turned to cold. And I remember waking up and I'm like, wow, I'm not in pain right now. And it's like 5 a.m. in the morning and I go, okay, well, just get in bed. And, and so I get up, I dry off, I get in bed. And I fall asleep. Ironically, at 6.30, my alarm wakes me up because I had to go into the oncologist to get what's called a Neupogen shot, which is just to boost your immune system to a degree. So I wake up, and I'm still not in pain. And I go, man, I haven't slept in three days. Like, I'm not going to go to this appointment. They'll have to (laughs) see me later. I mean, I got cancer for crying out loud, you know? So if I sleep and I miss it for a few hours, it's not the biggest deal in the world. Then I said, ah, you know what? Screw it. Let me just go there, get it done, then I come right. back. I have the whole day to sleep because I'm feeling better now, right? So I get up. I put on some sweatpants. I drive straight to the doctor. I literally walk through the oncologist's door. They look at me, and they said, we're taking you to the hospital now. They ended up bringing me to the 
bringing me to the cancer unit at the hospital, and Ooh. I don't remember anything for what? about six weeks. Yeah. So I was in so much pain that, and they just saw it. I looked like crap. I'd lost all this weight, and I, I had taken such a downturn in that in that few days that they hadn't seen me some, since my last chemotherapy treatment. When they saw me, they just knew something was wrong. I was jaundice. I was I was a lot of things. And so, um, and plus my stomach, like this is a thing I left out. My stomach was extended. Uh, it looked like I was probably like six months pregnant because my stomach oh, was my so gosh. infected. <laughs> and so basically the bacterial infection just closed up all my intestines and they just swelled. They swelled shut and my stomach just extended out. And, and um, I mean, it was bad. And so they took me straight to the hospital. They checked me into the cancer ward. They gave me a painkiller and literally I have leading, little fleets of memory for about a month to six weeks. But um, what ended up happening was I, the, all the antibiotics that I took gave me an infection in my stomach. Without any immune system, the infection then gave, gave me uh, blood poisoning, liver failure, oh, God. and then I went into kidney failure as well. Yeah. And then, so now I'm on like, you know, I'm on a, a feeding tube. I'd lost, I was in the, I overall did two months in the hospital, but I lost around 50 pounds in the hospital. They, um, I was sedated. I was sedated for that time because <laughs> no, I was a pretty unruly patient. <laughs> so they, yeah. So, so they sedated me. I mean, they put like those tubes up your nose, down your throat, into your stomach. I had all those going in. I mean, I have crazy, crazy pictures. I don't know if you have links, but I'll, I'll even yeah. send you a picture if you want to post it with this. It's, it's actually kind of sickening what I look like. And um, anyways, I, so I had the blood poisoning, the liver failure, the kidney failure, and then my lungs collapsed. Both, both my lungs collapsed. And I don't care how sedated you are, when you can't breathe, you have what alcoholics yeah. call is like a moment of clarity. You know what I mean? I, I just came out of my sedation and just in a pure panic because I can't breathe. I'm like, <gasps> right. And so they had, they came like, it's a scene out of like, you know, George Clooney in ER or whatever. Right. They come running into my, my ICU. Cause I'm in ICU. They come running into my ICU room and um, they literally put, they, they just put <sighs> chest tubes in right at my bedside right there. So they, they just jam oh needles down in between my ribs into my lungs to start draining fluid out of my lungs. So believe it or not, like it, 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 it was amazing. Like once they got these chest tubes in and you could breathe again, it was like the greatest feeling I've ever had in my life. It was like literally somebody flipped a, a light switch because once they opened up my lungs and they just popped a mm -hmm. needle in there to kind of inflate it again really quick, you know, I could take like a deep breath. They ended up taking 18 liters Shut of fluid up. out of my lungs over the next week. Yeah, it was crazy. Um, and to make a long story short, so I don't want to bore everybody, is they ended up getting the infection under control. Um, once the infection was under control, um, thank God my, my, all my vital organs started working again. So then, you know, I'm like, okay, you know, this is, this is good. But then they're like, okay, now, Eric, now we got to deal with the cancer again because they stopped all cancer treatment. They're just trying to keep me alive. You, that you had all that shutting down. I mean, anybody else, honestly, I mean, how many people recover from that? Anybody else? I just think, you know, knowing you and the, and the fighter that you are and the, you know, just the, the attitude that you have about life and about, you said alpha male. That that's true about you. Yeah, you gotta um, make your own luck. Anyways, so I'm 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 in awe. Yeah, so they get the infection under control. I end up spending I ended up spending almost uh, two months in in the hospital. Over six weeks of those were in ICU. I had every monitor, every this, that, and the other. Um, thank goodness I ended up getting, you know, finally getting all the my my organs were working again. I was able to get out of the hospital, and at that point, I was like, Mom, Dad just take me back to Arizona. Like, I don't even want to be in Memphis. I want to be back in home in my own bed that I spent my first, you know, 25 years of life. Like, I just want to go home. 
so they ended up taking me home and which was a blessing because then I was able to get into the Mayo Clinic because mm-hmm. there's a Mayo Clinic office in Arizona. They completely switched up all my chemotherapy. I went back to once every other week and eight Jeez. months later, I was cancer free. That is amazing. You know, I can't even yeah. believe that you're like, after all that, that you're still here. So, so, so let's, in the meantime of all this going on, you have a job. Yeah. Tell me about that. Oh, yeah, yeah, what yeah. happened there? Cause it, I, I, I know this, you know, I pretty much know the story there. However, it, it, it needs to be told. And from your mm-hmm. perspective, your point of view, and you know, the team was really good about your, you know, supporting you and, yeah. Well, there's, there's a couple, yeah, there's a couple main players out here that like literally I can't think enough. And um, one is, 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 is Scott Hessington. We all know Scott Hessington. Scott Hessington used to be stuff for the Orlando magic. Then he went on to become Hooper for the Detroit Pistons for a while. He's out of the league now. He still does a lot of right. mascot consulting. We've all done work for Scott, right? Scott was one of the first guys I called when I got sick because, uh, because he was the guy who helped me get into the league. And um, I told him about my sickness and he was like, all right, we're going to, you know, we're going to, we're going to get, we're going to, we're here for you essentially like at the attitude he had at the time. Right. When I also got diagnosed, like the day I got diagnosed, I, I ended up calling my boss. He's my game ops director. It's a guy named Sean Bennett. I think he's with the golden state warriors now, but um, I ended up telling him and, and he was just kind of like, he didn't know what to think. He kind of was like freaking out a little bit. We had a game the next day, you know what I mean? So he's like, uh, like, what are and, you and that's do? a hard like, call. I don't know. I gotta go. Hey, I want to be know? all sympathetic and empathetic and, and everything, but, uh, <laughs> I've got a show to put on tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. We have 18,000 people being in the building tomorrow, you know, and we have, we, the show must right. go on. And I completely understand that. Like no hard feelings, but so, so anyways, in between like procedure one and procedure two that day, I end up getting a call. And this is the other guy that I'm internally indebted to He's a guy named Andy Dolich. And he's really famous in the sports executive world. Um, he, at, at the time he was the president of the Memphis Grizzlies and Andy ends up giving me a call and says, Hey, Eric, I, I heard what happened. He goes, I want to let you know something. He's like, we're putting out a press release today, releasing your identity because I want the community to know that the person inside of Grizz is a real person and he needs wow. all the prayers that he can get right now. Secondly, secondly, and this is just as big, if not bigger, he goes, we're not putting anybody else in the costume. We're not going to have Grizz until you are better. Until you come back, Eric, we are not going to have a mascot. Furthermore, we are going to keep you on 100% pay, and we're not, we're not going to file any disability paperwork on you. He's like, so we're just going to pay you your normal salary 100%. You only need to focus on getting better. That's your only focus. I love focus. this guy. So, um, so, yeah, I was like, and that was just like a huge relief because you know this, and I'm sure like if your son got cancer right now, it would be devastating to him on so many levels because – it was my dream to get in the NBA. There's so many people that want this profession and there's only 30 of us that do it for a living. And year two, I get cancer. And I think my whole career is gone on top of having cancer. I think everything I worked for was gone. So it was utterly devastating for me. And when he called and told me that he was, I'm like, whoo, man, I would have been in tears right relief. there. So uh, thank you. If you're, yeah. I mean, I, I I, I have many times since then just thinking about it at that moment though, I was just like, yeah, thank you. Thank you, Jesus. All yeah. right. I, I, I have a bigger fish to fry right now, but, but right. thank you so much for this. You know what I mean? And um, so then, so then what Scott Hessington, now to bring Scott back into this, what Scott did is he got with my boss cause they had a connection Scott and Sean Bennett used to work with each other. Scott Hessington got with my boss and said, hey, I want to do something in honor of Eric. And so he organized for all the mascots in the league to fly out to Memphis on their own team dime. My team didn't pick up the cost on this. Their team did. They flew out to Memphis on their dime, dressed up in their costume, 
but wore my jersey. And we had a mascot for every game that remainder of that season. Another mascot through the league came in and performed for my crowd and honored me in their costume. And, 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 you know, just for Scott, he, he, he's an outside of the box thinker as well. And I love him for that. He's got, uh, he's got ideas and, 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 you know, that just make a huge difference. He's a, he's a, he's a great idea guy. And that's, that's the perfect solution. You know, that's the perfect scenario, perfect solution. And that had to have a huge effect on the community there. It, it was a major news story. I mean, it, 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 and you can, you can go on, you can go on right now and Google my name, cancer, and stories about that will show up. Scott Hessington even wrote an article. They, they, there was a sports edition of Chicken Soup for the Soul that they did. And they, and they called, and whoever the editor is, called Scott, and different athletes wrote a chapter. They called Scott. They said, hey, we want you to write a chapter for Chicken Soup for the Soul. And he wrote a chapter about how the NBA mascot group came together for me and for my community. I mean, it was huge. It was in USA Today. It was on ESPN. It was in ESPN, you know, on all these publications. I mean, it was a major, major story. And it was a huge story here, especially with it being the home of St. Jude's. Memphis being the home of St. Jude's, we started a fun, we started a fundraiser campaign for St. Jude's calling St. Uh, it was called friends of Grizz where they sold, uh, mm-hmm. you know, those Lance Armstrong type bracelets. And it, and it said friends of Grizz and people, every, every game people would buy thousands of them. They were $2 a piece. I think we, I couldn't even tell you how much money we raised for St. Jude's through, through this out of as well. Absolute tragedy always comes brightness, you know, there's something that needs to be said here. And I was quoted in a, they did a big long article when I came back um, here in the local paper. But one, one thing that, that always stuck to me is somebody once said to me, they go, you know what? Like everything, this is great, but just, isn't it a shame that it's not until something tragic happens that people like help you. And they didn't say that out of like, it was more of like a societal thing. It's like, Oh, you know, Everybody just goes on with their everyday life, and, and until something happens, yeah, then they'll give you like Uber support. You know what I mean? And so the, I think I think it was it was said it was he said something to the fact of, you know, it um, isn't it a shame though that it it, it it takes something bad happening to you for everybody to help you, and, and and I guess to somebody who hasn't gone through something traumatic, I can see that, but then I replied back to him and I and I said, you know, it's tragic. Is it tragic that it took something bad happening to me to realize what everybody is willing that to That is do? a great twist on that. And that's the honest to God truth, you know? It's amazing that you have, uh, I mean, this life lesson and are able to stand, you know, here today, look back. I mean, this is, un- this is just an enormous story, and I'm so glad you're able to, to share it with us. It's so inspirational, and it has an impact on so many different levels, you know? Well, and one of the, one of the big impacts, and, and this is kind of like what I say in my, when I give like kind of some sort of keynote speeches for the American Cancer Society, is I, say, is I say this, and it's 100% true today, tomorrow, as it was yesterday. Having cancer is the easy part. And I truly believe this. Like everything that we just went through that happened to me, a lot of people will be like, holy crap, you overcame a lot. Like, yeah, I did. But like, let's make no mistake. I didn't have right. a choice about it either, though. You know what I mean? But, but what I say is nobody realizes that physical pain is the easy part. Emotional pain is the hard part. And so who had it worse than me is my mom, my dad, my brother, my best friends. You know, my girlfriend at the time, all these people, all my family members, they were the ones who had it worse than I did because, you man, I'm just dealing with it. I can deal with physical pain. Like my dad, I've never seen my dad cry before in his life. And I saw him, I, you know, he cried over this because, you know, to him as a new father myself, if, if I can't buy it, fix it or like it is move a horrible it, like, feeling, especially I'm, when it comes to your own child. Right. And so. So, so, uh, you know, I don't want anybody listening. I don't want you to think, I don't want anybody to downplay like what they're going through. If a family member has it. Yeah. Your job honestly is harder. 
because emotional pain is harder than physical pain. You can do anything you want physically yeah. to me. I can handle it. I promise you I can. It's going to suck, but I can handle it. But, like, if anything happens to my little boy, Ethan, yeah, there, I can't I, handle I, it. I, I, I can't. Having three boys of my own, I, I, I know that now. I feel that now. And, you know, it's my, – my father had uh, cancer. And, I, and, you know, everybody knows somebody that has or has had cancer. And, you know, I, I remember at one point saying, you know, and I'm kind of breaking down with my dad. You know, and saying, you know, I just, I, I haven't, you know, I haven't had you long enough. You, you can't go now. There's no, you know, and it was pretty serious. He was, he was going to die. And uh, it was uh, just devastating for me to just, first of all, not be near him. I, I lived, you know, too far away. I was, you know, whatever. I mean, I, I went and visited him, of course. We did things. But, uh, but I remember at one point just saying, you know, it, it's, you can't go. You can't go. And I was in such you know, pain and, and, and sorrow and, and all that at the thought of my dad going. And he's like, he just responded to me very calmly, sweetly, and um, very pleasant. Like he had a pleasant tone to his voice. It was interesting. Uh, I can't describe it, but he goes, hey, I'm okay with it. He goes, be okay with it. I've had the greatest life. I've done so many things in my life. I'm okay. I'm setting your mom up. She's going to be fine. I'm going I'm to yeah. be fine. I've had a great time. And uh, so no tears. Just let's just uh, enjoy it. it it's, it's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. Like that emotional pain is harder. It's crazy. Everybody's scared of physically what is going to happen to them. But you know what? Like, and, and, and this is another kind of little true story. I was an MMA fighter, uh, and, and, and I still train to this day and I still compete on a very high level in jujitsu tournaments, but I, I, I would be nervous before a fight, but I would, I was confident in my abilities and I was confident in my training. And so I wasn't, I didn't have like major anxiety, but still to this day, when my teammates are fighting, <laughs> I'm like a nervous wreck all, all day. All day, I'm a nervous wreck for them. Like, and, and I'm in the back. I'm like, okay, we ready? You got to do this. Remember this? And they're like, Eric. Wait till it's oh, your son. Good, Wait till it's I your son. Like, Eric. Like, <laughs> and, he's, and he's competing. Oh, you're going to die. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So, but, yeah. So, anyways, I hope uh, some of this, uh, you know, I don't know, maybe somebody learned something or is it just a good story. But it's one of these things that I just think is so inspiring and, you know, as an interviewer, uh, you know, hosting this podcast or whatever. Well, it, it, well to, to, to that point, I want to I piggyback off that really quick. And, 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 one, and uh, many life lessons I got from going through cancer. But one of, one of, the, one of the big life lessons that I've realized is I'm not, I'm not scared to that's, talk about that. That's what I was going to ask you. That's what I was going to ask you. What, and what can I mean you tell us that, now? What I mean, looking back, how has it affected you from here, you know, from here on? Well, one of the one of the main things is everybody's like, oh, you went through all these things and you're so mentally tougher and you look at other people's problems and you laugh at them. I said, listen, anybody that ever says that they're they're lying to you. It's BS because everything's trivial. Everything is situational. It's in the moment. Just because I had cancer doesn't mean I look at sitting in traffic and being like, no big (laughs) deal. No, I hate sitting in traffic. Right. So so like all that stuff is, is 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 it's. It's dumb. Like, yes, you still have everyday problems. No, I don't look at other people's problems and laugh. Like, no, that doesn't happen. But one of the, one of the things I have realized, and it's great because I talk to a lot of St. Jude's kids now, and I talk, more or less I talk to their families, but a lot of times when something happens bad, let's just say, unfortunately, um, mm-hmm. you know, one of our friend's wives died, right? A lot of times you're like, I'm scared to call. I'm scared to, I'm scared to call them. I don't know if they're taking phone calls now. I'll, I'll wait till next week or I'll wait till this. I'm not, no, that's not me anymore, right? Because I knew what was powerful to me. And what was powerful to me is just somebody calling me saying, hey, what's up, Eric? You doing okay? No, you're not. That's shitty, man. I'm thinking about you. All right? Well, here, go back to resting. I love you. I'll talk to you soon. Little thing, it, that's all it takes. It's all it takes. And it drives me crazy when somebody is like, when there's a death of, of a mutual friend and I'm like, have you called him yet? Have you, have you called this person yet? And they're like, no, cause I, I didn't know what to say. And I'm like, tell him you love him. 
That's all you need. You don't need to say anything. Tell them you love them. Tell them you're thinking about them. Let them know that you knew that you know what happened and you're thinking about them. That's all you have to do. You nobody expects you to have the right answer, but they do expect you to be a friend and they do expect you to care. Very strong lesson right there. I had this conversation with my wife just a couple days ago. We have a good friend of ours, good family friend whose daughter is uh, uh, not doing well. She she could die. And uh, she's very sick. Uh, she's got problems with her kidney yeah. and um, going through an enormous amount of pain. And uh, my wife's doing the same thing. I don't know if I, I mean, it, 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 I don't know if I should call or text or, 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 or what. I don't know what they're going through right now. I'm like, just do it. <laughs> yeah, just call them. They're just texting anything. Yeah. Let the yeah. person know that you're yep. thinking about them, you care, and that you love them. That's all you need to do. You don't, you, listen, the Good doctors have the answers. Right there. You don't. Don't pretend to. Very well put. Well, Eric, man, wow. I am so glad. I, yeah. I, I actually, and I, and I feel bad looking back at all this, that I wasn't more involved with the, uh, the, the going down there and, and, and participating in the, in the mascots, um, you know, subbing in for you. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. it's oh, no big deal. And, we didn't have that relationship uh, back then. No. I did so get approached good. about it. I know that there was some kind of conflict with my team, uh, but, at the same time, I think I was kind of disconnected mm-hmm. from the whole thing. But uh, knowing you now and, and everything, it uh, I just feel really bad. I missed out on that opportunity. And uh, But you know what? I'm glad to have this relationship with you now. By the way, everybody, uh, yeah, Eric and I are, uh, are in business together. And uh, we, uh, we have partnered up on some things. And uh, it's, been, it's been great. Uh, he's an amazing man. He's an amazing mascot. Uh, he's an amazing performer, and uh, he's got a lot of uh, a lot of life lessons to share. So I appreciate this little uh, tidbit. He just had a little baby, and uh, so he's got a sweet family started. And yeah, great guy. Man, this is awesome, Ken. And Ken, uh, I love the podcast. I love what you're doing. You're still the greatest of all time in my. All right, book, brother. So, Thanks uh, a lot, man. Thanks. We'll wrap this up now. Peace. Thanks for being on the fur. Yeah, between all the right, fur. Too, bud. <laughs> all right, brother. We'll see you.